Welcome to the first edition of HGF's new Fashionably IP podcast. My name is Rebecca Field. I'm a chartered trademark attorney at IP law firm HGF, and I'm joined on this podcast by my colleague Lee Curtis, who's also a chartered trademark attorney at HGF. Hello. Now, the Fashionably IP podcast has been developed from the success of the Fashion and IP LinkedIn group, which is run by us and now has roughly over 11,000 members, including many of the leading IP council across the world, both in-house and in private practice. We thought it would be good for you to know a bit more about us and along the way for us to comment on hot topics, whether historic cases or new developments which have come up in the world of IP and fashion and have been commented on in the Fashion and IP group. If you are not a member of the Fashion and IP uh, LinkedIn group, please find it amongst the groups on LinkedIn and just apply to join. Everyone's welcome. Our intention is to produce this podcast roughly once a month or so and comment on the world of fashion and IP. The podcast on average should last no more than 15 minutes and will concentrate on one subject per podcast. So hopefully it will be um, quite bite sized for people. To be clear, this podcast is not legal advice. And if you have any queries on the points we have raised, please contact us directly at either rfield at hgf.com or alcurtis at hgf.com. Now, the subject of this first podcast will be the use of personal names in the world of fashion and some of the legal issues which have surrounded their use over the years. This is an issue which constantly comes up in the world of fashion and has been raised on fashion and IP numerous times. However, to start things off, we thought we'd firstly tell you a little bit about HGF. So, HGF. Well, HGF is one of the leading IP firms in Europe. We have offices across the United Kingdom, the Republic of Ireland, the Netherlands, France, Germany, Austria and Switzerland. We manage the IP portfolios of many of the world's leading companies and can do all things IP, whether that is clearing your IP, registering your IP or enforcing your IP. Now back to fashion. So in this first podcast, we are going to talk about the use of personal names as brands in the world of fashion. Now, why is that such an important subject in the world of fashion, Lee? Well, if you think about many, indeed possibly most, of the world's leading fashion brands, they have been established by a single designer, or at least are family enterprises, probably the most famous being Christian Dior, Louis Vuitton, and Alexander McQueen, to name but a few. You also have either brands which are taken on the surname of the original designer, or are family brand names, such as Chanel, Gucci, Fendi, Prada, Govenchy, and Balenciaga, which was established by Cristobal Balenciaga in Spain in 1917. We even have four names as brands, such as Kenzo, established by Kenzo Takada in 1970. So why do we think that this is problematic from a trademark law perspective? Well, fashion uh, brands of this nature are very personal to the original designer or family name. 
when you bring in personal connections, uh, emotion or family frictions into the world of trademark law, then that causes problems. Family conflicts are highlighted by the various cases, particularly in the US, over the descendants of the original uh, Gucci brothers, one being his grandson, uh, Pablo uh, Gucci, who was prevented from using his name as a brand in the US. However, a crucial time when these problems often occur is when the original founder or founders sell their interest in the brand. Uh, Rebecca, there's been a very well-known case in the UK which dealt with this uh, exact issue of the sale of fashion brands and its continued use. Yes. So, I mean, a lot of our listeners will know this case. This was the Elizabeth Emanuel case. A um, little bit of history. Elizabeth Emanuel, um, together with her then-husband, were the designers of the wedding dress of Lady Diana Spencer um, when she married Prince Charles um, all the way back in 1981. Subsequently, in 1990, she started trading under the brand Elizabeth Emanuel. She set up her own company, Elizabeth Emanuel PLC, in 1996. However, she subsequently sold her business and brand in 1997 to the owner of the then well-known Joe Bloggs jeans brand in the UK, which was fairly big at that time. However, After business disagreements, she then left that business. The buyer filed a UK trademark application to register Elizabeth Emanuel, which Miss Emanuel then opposed. Presumably, she wanted to start trading again under the brand name Elizabeth Emanuel, her argument being that that was her own personal name. And that links in, obviously, to like an own name defence as well. The opposition failed because the court held that she'd sold her rights, principally common law rights based on use, so the goodwill, to the brand Elizabeth Emanuel to a third party, and she didn't have a valid basis of opposition, even though it was obviously her own name. This case also highlights, in the UK at least, that trademark rights generally are only established via the establishment of goodwill via trading activity. So, you know, actual commercial use in the business or via trademark registrations. There is no personal right to a name as such. And this was further established in a later case concerning Rihanna, which was the Rihanna and Topshop case. So, Lee, does the Elizabeth Emanuel case mean that the purchasers of personal fashion brand names need not worry? Well, no. It's interesting to note that Elizabeth Emanuel does still trade under the brand Atelier uh, Elizabeth by Elizabeth Emanuel. This maybe shows that unless there are agreements to the contrary on the sale of personal fashion brand names, the IP offices and courts have uh, do actually provide quite a lot of latitude to a designer who's still using their personal name in some form providing it's not identical to what has gone before. Thus, for a buyer of a fashion brand of this nature with a personal name, it's quite crucial to have clear, unambiguous contractual constraints uh, on the founder of the original brand, on what brand name uh, they cannot use, subject to competition law, obviously. Um, Obviously, contracts have to be uh, governed by competition law, and there can't be overly restraints of trade. 
Also, by definition, personal names tend to be found uh, more easily distinguishable by IP offices and courts across the globe. I think the courts find that purchasers and consumers tend to find it much more easy to distinguish a personal name than an invented trademark. Um, and although it's not directly related to fashion, uh, this issue uh, came up uh, in the Becker Barbara Becker case uh, before the EU courts where Barbara Becker was the ex-wife of the well-known tennis player uh, Boris Becker. Also in some countries, and I've, I've come across this personally, um, that with well-known fashion brand names, um, which uh, are considered a well-known designer's name who no longer is connected to the business, that consent is needed from the original designer, or if they have actually died, the estate, to register the name as a trademark, even if the trademark has already been registered in that country. Um, I understand this is the case in Brazil, or at least was. It means that the purchaser of fashion brands of this nature, which includes a personal name of a well-known designer, should obtain uh, at the point of sale letters of consent from the original designers, um, uh, which provide for open-ended uh, registrations of their name or uh, trademarks incorporating their name, or obtain the consent of the family or estate if they have passed away. Otherwise, disputes can occur and the family or estate or indeed the original uh, designer can withheld their consent. So, Rebecca, have there been any uh, more recent disputes over personal names as fashion brands? Now, the clear answer to that is yes. Um, this is something that comes up a lot. Um, back in 2016, the in the UK, the Supreme Court prevented the use of the name Karen Millen by the designer um, herself and retailer of that, um, who had actually sold her trademark rights. So she had sold the business. Now, Karen Millen was even prevented from using Karen in the homeware market. So it actually was pretty, con you know, constraints on her. So here, the designer was under certain contractual obligations regarding what brands she could use. And it goes back to your previous point of adding contractual obligations on the original designer, in addition to relying on trademark law. So if you are going to purchase, um, you know, a well-known brand name, you do need to make sure that, you know, that personal name isn't then going to be um, used for something which could be related perhaps to the, um, the brand. Now, we also have the continuing battle of the Katie, Katie Perry's um, in Australia, where the designer Katie Perry has challenged the well-known singer, um, Katy Perry over the use of her name and brand in Australia. I understand that that dispute's actually still ongoing, um, so we can't comment, but it does show some of the difficulties in enforcing trademark rights in personal names. And I would also say that clearly you're going to have different issues come up in different jurisdictions where you're going to have to challenge. Um, and I also can remember there was a case to do with Kylie Minogue and Kylie Jenner. Um, as well. So it is quite a prevalent area. So, uh, Rebecca, what are the takeaways uh, of all of these disputes? Well, clearly, the use of personal names as brands in fashion are obviously very attractive because that's what the consumer likes to buy and they feel they have a connection with. And it's, it's very widespread um, for a personal name to become a, a well-known fashion brand. But clearly, this phenomenon does bring quite a few legal issues. 
Designers should be aware of these issues when establishing um, a brand at the outset, um, but also purchasers of you know such trademark rights, so the goodwill and the registrations, also need to be fully aware of these issues. And as we said above, think about binding um, the owners of those personal names contractually also going forward. So that's the end of the podcast. Um, We do hope you've enjoyed this first Fashionably IP podcast. Um, More will follow in the months to come, um, including some question and answer sessions and some interviews. So thanks very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.